Welcome to another episode of the Banking on Digital Growth podcast. I'm Audrey Kanata, Operations Lead here at the Digital Growth Institute. And today we are going to dig into a website secret shopping case study with a credit union that was in our program and a national competitor benchmarking the online account opening process. But first joining me today is James Robert Lay, founder and CEO of the Digital Growth Institute. Hello, James Roberts. Hi, Audrey. It's always great to share time with you. Absolutely. Before we get into this case study where we are going to be looking at the different patterns we found when benchmarking the online account opening process with a credit union and a national competitor, what is going well for you personally or professionally? I'd say what's going well on the personal side is coming out of the weekend with a winter ball uh, for my daughter's school. My wife and I had the opportunity to be her guest for this winter ball, and it was a truly amazing, memorable experience. Um, we even got to do a daddy-daughter dance, and I told her, I said, we're going to be doing this again in probably like 15 years, except you're going to be uh, getting married off to uh, to your future spouse. And uh, she wasn't really feeling it at the time uh, when, when we were dancing. Uh, granted, she's uh, 11 years old. And so she's right at that stage of, you know, trying to seek some of that independence. But it was really a special, memorable moment for me that I actually captured in my journal. And one day she'll read back and she'll see how much it meant. That is amazing. And and for the listeners, I did get a sneak peek and got to see photo evidence of this family at their winter ball. And let me tell you, the outfits, you guys look phenomenal. Dapper, I think would be the perfect word to describe you guys. So uh, definitely happy to hear that you guys had that special. I know with four kids, getting one-on-one with any of them is such a special uh, moment that I know you guys will probably remember for quite some time. Very much so. So let's talk about this website secret shopping case study that we performed probably, when was this? A year ago, a little over a year ago? Maybe a little over a year ago uh, at this point. And if I was actually talking with uh, someone earlier this morning via text and they they do website development, uh, particularly for financial brands. And we were going back and forth about just everything that we have learned. And it it hit my mind that we have been doing website secret shopping studies now for a decade at this point. Mm -hmm. And they said, oh my goodness, I didn't know it was this, this long. And they go, well, we've been building websites for maybe 15 years, he said. And I said, wow, it's a long time. And um, he goes, but no one has ever asked us about secret shopping their website. And I go, not a lot of financial brands are thinking about this right now. And it's actually one of the greatest, we'll call it low hanging fruit opportunities. And for this particular organization, um, we have been working with them since probably 2012. Um, Going yeah, because I know I know when I first was here for tour number one, this credit union was around. Exactly. And so to see the continued growth and progress and evolution of this particular financial brand and the value created through their digital experiences, a lot of that can be directly attributed to their commitment to continuously come back, secret shop, 
re-secret shop, not just their website, but even in this particular instance, a specific element for a particular product line. I think this was probably one of the most detailed website secret shopping studies that we have ever facilitated. Yes, it really was a very unique study that we did. Um, definitely a lot deeper than the general website secret shopping studies that we've done. And it's one of my favorite because the findings and the patterns that we found here were so fascinating and interesting. Mm -hmm. And coincidentally, we had been doing some, I know at the same time as we did this study, I was reading Joey Coleman's Never Lose a Customer Again. And it was almost like in real time, I was reading his book and we were doing this study and I was seeing so many of the patterns and the insights either being applied or not applied and then seeing some of the feedback to that. So let's talk about this study and what made it so unique um, for us and for the credit union. Well, it, it really starts like all secret shopping studies start is either A, we have a problem, or B, we want to know what we can do to make our digital experience, our website shopping experience, even that much better. And in this particular instance, it was, we have a problem and it was a self-diagnosed problem, which I always find is a little bit dangerous to do some self-diagnosis. Um, now in this particular organization, once we did a little bit more discovery, it was very clear that yes, they did have a problem and their, their self-diagnosis was in fact correct. Um, in this particular case, this organization uh, was a credit union and they're, we're looking at the checking application process. So when someone clicked apply, that is when we would begin the secret shopping study experience because what they were finding and their hypothesis was, is the way that their application for a new checking account was deployed and developed was in fact costing them hundreds of millions of dollars worth of deposits. And they just didn't know why. They had some sneaking suspicions, but particularly the marketing team and the senior marketing leader, the, the SVP of marketing, wanted, I would say, some validation because she had been trying to surface this at the executive level, talking to the board of directors saying, we have a problem, but no one was, I'm not gonna say no one was listening, but the, the perception of a problem wasn't as painful at the C-suite level as it was of what they were perceiving in the marketing department. Right. And so we got some numbers from this study. So I'm, I'm going to give the statistic that the finding and let's back into why or what caused uh, this situation. So of the users that we tested, 60% of people abandoned the application. They never finished it due to some sort of confusion or cause of friction do you remember what some of the biggest reasons I, there was, I can think of about two different reasons or two different things that really confused people in this particular online application. Do you remember what those were? 
one of them was the need for a driver's license um and because we recorded these experiences we actually saw people trying to dig around and go and find that driver's license i think that was one my memory serves correct yeah and then the other was it was part because the way that credit unions are structured with their field of membership right it was how do you qualify for membership and it had like three different drop down options to select from and at that point the perception of the prospective member they they believed that they had to qualify for all three if my memory is serving correctly here. Correct. Well, there was a lot of confusion with the drop downs. It was okay. What, and I know one of them was, where do you work? And they couldn't find, uh, they couldn't find their That's employer right. on there. So it was uh, where they worked. It was their um, uh, county. I think it was. Um, yeah. So there was a lot of confusion of, do I, am I eligible? Am I not eligible? And then it almost felt like, well, wait a minute, like, this is confusing. Do they not want me to be here? Like, I don't understand. So the drop down, the membership eligibility was one of the main um, reasons. Uh, and, and in fact, I, I believe that's why of those 60% that abandoned, half of them abandoned because of the membership eligibility. And we see that a lot with credit unions when you're opening an account or applying for a loan, you have this membership pop up. Mm-hmm. And wait a minute, do I... I have to be a member first. If I sign up for an account, am I automatically a member? How does this work? There's a lot of confusion there. And like you said, the driver's license. I mean, we, and and we did do this live. And so we were watching users fumble around. They had to take a picture of their driver's license and upload it. And and there was some frustration tied to that because the upload for some of them was not functioning properly or as expected. And that was another major ab- abandoned application point. And, yep. and, and coming back for context for those watching and listening, we broke this particular study down literally screen by screen. And for this particular organization, I want to say they probably had maybe eight different screens, eight to 10 different input screens to collect data but on each of these input screens there were multiple input boxes whether they were text-based uh drop downs check boxes uh that increased cognitive load and it's almost like the deeper that a prospective member got into the application and some of them were like, I'm not, I'm not going forward because one of the questions that we had asked on every single screen, based upon what you see, does it make you feel confused and frustrated? Does it make you feel clear and confident or indifferent? And the reason that we were scoring that is we were almost scoring a frustration index or a clarity index based upon what their response was. But if if we go back and we look at the data, it's like the, the deeper they got in, the clarity decreased and the frustration continued to increase in which led to the correlation of the abandoned applications. Yeah. I mean, we had people, I know one in particular made the comment, you know, 
let the customer get in the door before hitting me with this sign up frustration. And they use the, uh, this phrase, um, this is going to be a precursor to what the banking experience is going to be like. And I am out. Yeah. Well, you know, that's another thing too, because you can look at these website secret shopping studies from two different lenses. You've got the qualitative lens of how does this make you feel? And then you have the quantitative aspect as well, based upon, you know, based upon this experience, do you feel clear and confident or do you feel frustrated and uh, confused or do you feel indifferent? And you could put a scoring to each one of those more of a qualitative emotions. But what we did too, at the end of this particular study, we did an exit and based upon this application experience, would you recommend or refer this particular financial brand to your friends or to your family? And the NPS score of this was below five. Um, Correct. And I think when you start getting into not just the quantitative data, but what's backing that up with the qualitative the big data versus the thick data, thick data is the smaller data set. Expectations are important. Expectation settings are important when it comes to a website shopping experience for a financial product, particularly at the moment of truth, the moment of application, because one of the pieces of information shared around expectation, someone went into thinking that this experience was going to take them five minutes. That was the expectation. Oh, this is going to take me five minutes. Now they had the courage to see this all the way through. How long did it take them? 30. Took them 30 minutes to open. And it's not even fully open. It's just the application is, is now complete because then they right. had, because then we took the study even further to funding which was then a multi-day follow-up. And you talk about the frustration continuing to increase because we had every single one of these participants capture all of the follow-up communication, whether that was email, phone, voice message, or text and SMS. And as they continued down that experience, did the clarity and confidence increase or did the friction and frustration increase increase? Oh, the, the friction, the frustration, uh, and confusion definitely increased. Um, well, considering 60% didn't even get through the abandoned or did, didn't get through the application process as it was. Yeah. So we're only looking at 40% now who are getting any sort of follow-up communication, if anything. Mm. And those who did not complete the application never received any communication after that. Never That's followed right. up with. No one ever said, we noticed you started, but you stopped. Do you have any questions? So that's just lost. So you had 60% of people who had intent mm. and they're gone and they're not coming back. Yeah. Um, and then we had of the 40% who were able to successfully go through the application process. They got one follow-up email. One follow-up email welcoming them. I mean, one or two sentences, I think, and it was clear. I mean, it was, it was automated. It was definitely, which is, you know, it was fine, but they got one email um, and that was it. 
that was it. I think maybe weeks later they can, may have gotten a newsletter. Can we in the, as an email. can we pause on that point for just a moment? For those watching or listening, you work at a financial brand. Maybe it's in marketing, maybe it's in sales, maybe it's in leadership, maybe it's in ops. I want you to think for just a second. Someone took the time to apply or open an account on your website. And it might have taken them half an hour. If you've never done a, a, a website secret shopping study, there, there, there might be no context of time of how long it's actually taking for someone to start to finish, complete this. But then all they get for their effort is a one-line text-based email to quote-unquote welcome them. How's that going to make them feel? How's that make you feel? Like if that was the the extent of the onboarding. Because yes, you can get acquisition. Yes, you can grow accounts, grow deposits. But there's a whole nother side of the equation here, which is retention. Yeah, and that's where I was, I mentioned earlier, reading Joey Coleman's book, Never Lose a Customer Again. And in his book, he notes 32% of new customers who join a bank will leave in the first year. And 50% of those will leave within the first 100 days. 20% will leave within the first year without ever having conducted a single transaction. So it's like we get them in the door and then we abandon you know, we forget about them. They're gone. We're forgetting. And he makes the point. They need to be affirmed. You know, they need to be activated. You know, they need to have that first impression and they need to be acclimated. Yeah. Um, let them get to know you. Let them get comfortable. And let's talk about this experience in relation to the national competitor that we benchmark against, because it was two completely different experiences. And I think both you and I were very surprised in the difference of the follow-up communication and what we learned about that, that I don't even think you and I uh, would have guessed. Before we get there, I, I want to make this even more real for those watching or listening in, in, into what the, the bottom line economical toll that this is potentially costing you. And, and I only want to focus right now, Audrey, on just top of funnel. Okay, yep. because if we consider this, uh, I'm going to make my math super easy. Uh, the and there's some research out there that shares the average lifetime value of a retail account holder. So let's just say checking. Uh, the average lifetime value of a retail checking account holder is fifteen hundred dollars, and that's for around a an institution that's about a billion in assets, billion and a half in assets. So $1,500 is the lifetime value. Now come back to this example. We found like with industry data, there's a 60% abandonment rate on this acquisition application. If you have 1000 people each month, 
start a new application or to start the application to open up a checking account, you've got a 60% abandonment rate. That's 600 people per month. To make my math very easy I, and, and to take a conservative approach, let's take, let's say the lifetime value here. Is it $1,500? Let's say it's $1,000. What is 600 times 1,000? 600,000. That's the lost revenue opportunity of lifetime value for just checking alone. Multiply that out now by the course of by the by by 12 months. It's 7.2 million dollars. Like this is a real bottom line opportunity that for many financial brands, it's just a lack of awareness. And we're not even talking about now, once you go through the acquisition period, now we're talking about retention. Right. Because go back to those numbers once again. What was it, 50% within the first year? 32% within the first year. 32%, 32%. 50% of those in the first 100 days. So 16%, more or less, in the first 100 days are gone, but 32%. So we'll just stay with the 32% within 12 months. Consider what the cost of acquisition is. The average cost of acquisition for a new checking account on the retail side is about three, $350. So how much did you just lose? How much literally did you, did you spend for them to walk out the door within 12 months, yet alone within the first 100 days? major and and we're just talking one product line which is where when we facilitate these website secret shopping studies we're looking at the different product line shopping experiences because while they are similar you have very different nuances for each particular product line but furthermore back to where we were going with this and thank you for letting me yes press on this press on this pain that's painful yeah let's Let's also share what we learn when we not just look at one financial brand's experience, but it's also important when we facilitate these studies to benchmark that experience against other financial brands, whether they are a national brand, a community brand that might be in the same community as a particular institution that we're facilitating a study for, or even more, I would say, exciting because there's a lot of lessons to be learned, a fintech brand, which is exactly what we did for, for this particular organization. Yeah, so we looked at the online account opening process with another uh, national fintech and then also the post application. And 100% of the users were able to successfully complete an online application Uh, You touched on the NPS score for the credit union. The NPS score for this uh, fintech was 9.4. We had comment. I want to come back to the credit union for context. This particular credit union, it was almost the exact inverse. The credit union NPS was 4.95 for this particular fintech. Not only did they get 100% completion rate, the NPS wasn't 4.95, it was 9.4. So 
So just the exact, the exact opposite almost. And a lot of it had to do with expectation setting time. Um, It would let them know where they are in the process. Um, One or two questions per page. So it wasn't this big, you know, complex application that was asking everything under the sun. Um, It was very simple name, email, address, phone number, social security, and you're done. And some of the feedback, you know, my 80 year old grandma could do this. My 16 year old son can do this. Uh, Very simple, quick process. Compare and contrast once again. One, One data input or one question per screen was being asked by this particular fintech. On the credit union, it was a minimum five or six questions being asked upwards. I remember there was one particular screen. It was probably 20 different inputs being required to move to the next page. This is important because as I wrote in, in, in Banking on Digital Growth in Chapter 4, the impact that cognitive load has on conversions. Reduce cognitive load or basically, you know, the computing capability of the mind to make a decision. Reduce cognitive load, increase conversions. Inject cognitive load into the buying experience, you're going to decrease conversions. And in some in some cases, if you just inject and many times it's inadvertently injected, just a small percentage, let's make this easy. Like, like we'll say we increase cognitive load by 2%. But that 2% increase, it seems small, it seems nominal. We see the potential for an 80% decrease drop in conversions. So there's this exponential effect of, of cognitive load. And we already know that when people are shopping for a financial product, there's inherent cognitive load with money. A. B, there's a very real psychological aspect of this. Uh, Kuhn Mutual did a study, and it was around 60-61% of people enter into a financial buying journey for a loan product feeling some type of stress and anxiety. So when you inject cognitive load into any point of a digital shopping journey, and in this particular case, it's at the point of application, It's no wonder we see abandonment increase. However, reduced cognitive load in this particular case of the fintech, one question for the application per screen being asked, they reduced it, and then they got 100% pull through of conversion on the flip side. Yeah, 100%. And just to tie that that cognitive load um, and just that, that psychological tie with money and and making these financial decisions, I think that's also where that retention, that retention piece comes in. And, and it's holding your hand, holding their hands through this onboarding phase and reassuring them that the, the choice they made uh, is a good one, reaffirm them, um, make them feel comfortable, give them the tools that they need, knowing that 
this is probably a very complex situation for them to navigate. And that's where the study came in, where we benchmarked these two, this credit union and the fintech, and where we had the credit union send, you know, minimal follow-up communication. This fintech sent, and we tracked it all, 15 to 30 emails in the first 60 days. And they were all, and, and, and we got the feedback from the users. And about 80% of them felt that this communication was not too much and it was all very helpful. It was giving them different tools, recommendations, different offers, and they just felt like they weren't just forgotten about. The other thing, come back to feeling and emotions because one of the concerns I remember from the credit union, they said 15 to 30 emails in the first 60 days? That's a lot. It feels, it sounds like it's a matter of perspective because when you look at some of the exit surveys and this thick data here, this qualitative data, a couple of the points in the quote, they were always making sure they were in my brain. They weren't pushy and were appropriate and kept focus. They also use an analogy that this particular fintech is like Abercrombie and Fitch, which I kind of laughed yeah. at. Very, I do remember that. Very casual. Like, hey, welcome. Do your thing. Here's the cell. You're going to smell good from it. Um, and, 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 and I think that's an important point. When you think about this idea of not just acquisition, but now retention, words, language, communication, People often ask me, they, 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 they read banking on digital growth thinking that it's all about technology. When in reality, as I defined early in the book, like this is a communication book. Communication is going to either A, lead to increased clarity, which leads to courage, to commit, to move forward with confidence, or communication is going to increase confusion. That leads to a state of conflict, which when you're stuck in that state of conflict, it's what leads to chaos. And it's the chaos that leads to the abandonment or the lack of retention going forward there. And here's and here's the good news. What is easier to fix and correct and optimize? Your communication strategy or your technology, the technology that you have access to um, within your organization. So I think that there is some good news here for the listeners, for all of these findings that we're, that we're seeing, these patterns that we're seeing is these are things that for the most part can be uh, optimized and, and, you know, corrected going forward without a ton of headache. Roll that back because I, I, I don't want you to gloss over what you just said. When you're talking about optimizing communication, versus optimizing technology, there are different levels of complexity because if we're talking about complexity externally in regards to prospective account holders' experiences or account holders' experience for retention, now we're talking about complexity internally in regards to a financial brand having to either optimize communication or optimize technology. There's certain levels of complexity that's gonna be over-indexed on the technology side that leads to a lack of action that's, that keeps people stuck in the status quo. But you're, you're, it, this is important. You're saying there's an even better way forward. Because a lot of times with what we find, 
it doesn't require new technology. It doesn't require a new website build. What's what's the difference here to really like delineate between the two of optimizing communication patterns versus, you know, ripping out technology and building in a whole new system? Major pain. Yeah. I mean, I'm just from an investment standpoint, from a time standpoint, you know, you can create a, you know, communication workflow where it, yes, it might take you a little while up front to create. I guarantee you this, this FinTech that we looked at and, and we actually looked, we, we compared the follow-up communication among different users. And generally speaking, it was just about the same sequence of emails, slight variation, but very similar. So you set up this, this, uh, this process, you set up this post conversion communication workflow and you just duplicate it and automate it. And that way you're the time and the investment you put into it, it's getting exponentially, you know, multiplied the return coming out of it because you're able to apply it across the board. And, and it's very simple. It just takes a little bit of time, a little bit of research, a little bit of understanding your customers, your account holders, your members, what are their needs? Um, what, what do they, what are their expectations mm. and making sure that you provide them with that even after the sale. Yeah. Yeah. Such and that's one of the reasons we call this kind of like the low-hanging fruit. There's a lot of low-hanging fruit that doesn't require the pain of change internally because we know how difficult, how painful it is to replace technology, to upgrade technology. But yeah. re really what we're focused on here is, is just human behavior. It's identifying the common pain that causes the common person problems and then saying, here are the three things that you can do next to take this experience and make it even that much better going forward. However, don't stop there because as we have experienced of secret shopping, multiple studies, multiple products over an extended period of time, as in years, there are always new lessons to be learned, particularly through the lens of financial services, because the expectation of someone shopping a financial product is continuously changing because their expectations are being changed and informed by other digital shopping experiences. True. That's true. That's actually a really great point to wrap up here on James Robert. As we conclude, what is what is just one maybe practical takeaway? You know, what is the one kind of overarching theme insight that you want our listeners to take from this moving forward and then, you know, possibly take action on? I would say look look for the pain. Identify a place within your financial buying journey for a particular product line that you know pain exists. And this is where things can get extremely complex. So let's simplify and distill this down because you're like, well, where do I begin? Okay, well, you have, let's say, three to five major product lines. And within those three to five major product lines, you have a matrix of opt optimization opportunity through the five different stages of a consumer buying journey. 
So now you're thinking about this, we'll say five key product lines with five different areas for optimization. You got a five by five matrix. If you're looking at that, you're like, oh my goodness, I don't know where to, to start. It's a, it truly is a mind blowing problem. Pick one, just pick one. I mean, really for all I care, put something on the, on, on, on the wall and throw darts at it. Just start because you can't, you can't be wrong at that point. If you think about the five different stages of the buying journey for five different product lines, I guarantee you there is opportunity. It's like, for example, if you were to, if you were to sit in your room, if you were to sit in your office for five, 10 minutes, just sit in your office, like as a, as a side experiment here, sit in your office for 10 minutes or sit in your room for 10 minutes and look around the room. And ask yourself, what would I do to make this room even better? And that's where you're going to see, oh, those papers behind my monitor, they've been sitting there for six months. I haven't done anything with those. Oh, those, the bookshelf is getting a little dusty. I want to go read a book. If you just sit there for 10 minutes and just observe, there will be opportunities that present themselves. And that's a real physical experience. The same would be true in the context of this. You have five key product lines with five different stages of buying journey. Please do not try to take all of them all at once. One product line, one stage, one quarter. And that's your quarterly focus. And think about all the things that might be causing pain in that particular stage of the buying journey for one product line for one quarter. And that's your focus. You do that every 90 days. Well, over the course of a year, you've made tremendous progress, tremendous optimizations that will have a tremendous growth impact on your bottom line, because you are going to realize where you're losing loans and deposits and then come up with cures and solutions to solve those problems. Yeah. So just get started. Look at one product line. There is no need to get overwhelmed and look at everything, all the different opportunities and possibilities. Just start one place, one product line and get started. That is really great. Uh, Great recommendation moving forward, James Robert. Thank you so much for for discussing this really unique website uh, secret shopping case study that we did and sharing all of the insights with our listeners. Audrey, this has been a lot of fun as always. Thank you for joining us for another episode of the Banking on Digital Growth podcast.